So let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. You can always tell there's a sigh of relief that comes across the room whenever we turn to a New Testament book. And that's okay. And here's the thing, the main portion of the text that we're going to use today is going to be chapter 1, verses 17 to the end of the chapter, verse 31. But we have to get a running start. Context is a big deal. We don't just want to pick up a verse in a vacuum. It doesn't help us at all. What's interesting about Corinth is Corinth had a boasting problem. We're familiar with this church, aren't we? What are some of the things we know about the Corinthian church that is alarming? They're the church that's always on spring break. What's wrong with those people? It's easy for us to look over and judge, isn't it? Now, now keep in mind, remember this. They are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's important to remember. As weird as we look at them, and I want you to think about that for as weird as we look at other Christians today, and probably how weird they look at us. I'm sure you've had the fundy label chucked at you every once in a while. That's okay. Still brothers and sisters in Christ. What were some of the issues they had going on? Now, Willem, you had your hand up. Say it, brother. Okay, Mark, deal with him. Okay. <laughs> That's mom's problem. I love it. There you go. Well, there's an abuse of spiritual gifts going on. Believers are taking one another to court. So that's a fun time. You've got people who've got divisions going on in the church. Denominations in a church are bad enough. Denominations in a church are bad. Can you imagine if we were split up in the four quadrants of this Awana square? Right? I praise God that no one would say, I'm of Tom, right? That'd be a dangerous place. But I tell you what, brother, I love you so much I'd be on your side, superficially speaking. So, that's good. They had that going on. They have some guy that the church is condoning that he's having a sexual affair with his stepmother. So that's a problem. Yeah, this book's racy. They're eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Every time they have the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper was not an observance of something just bread and just the cup. They would actually have a full-out potluck. I mean, ladies started bringing their crockpots back then. Okay, it wasn't just now. And they would set up this entire meal. Well, you had some people that would come in and would eat everything and would be completely sloshed by the time the people who were maybe counting on that meal to be part of their meal plan for the week so that they could be filled. Now they were going hungry and you've got somebody throwing around drunk on the floor. Can you imagine if this was Corinth Bible Church? What that would be like. But this is who Paul's dealing with. And their boasting was found to be in all the wrong places. As we'll see. But what I think is fascinating and what I want you to grasp is that Paul's remedy for this obvious applicational sickness that they had is not to beat them. He doesn't come in and shame them into submission. Paul knows something that we could all stand to learn. Shaming people into submission never works. Expressing your displeasure with a situation, pointing out sin, rebuking someone for where they're wrong. Apostle Paul participated in all of those those situations but as far as shaming someone and making them feel like less of the body of christ 
because of some foolishness that they're involved in, has never been a way to set them on a healthy path. And so I want you to watch what Paul does. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to cover the entire chapter. Hopefully today, if the clock tells me differently, then you've already got notes for next week. I don't know how it's going to come out. Praise Jesus for his word. Here we go. Paul, there's your author, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now remember, an apostle is one who is sent out. This was a secular term way before it was ever a spiritual term. And the idea was when you would call together a fleet of ships, put a mission in front of them, and then send them out in order to execute the mission. So Jesus started with his apostles and uses that type of imagery and brings that word meaning into the situation of taking these men who he would commission to go out and reach certain people in order to disciple them, okay? So notice, he is called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. I'll write that one down for September. To the church of God, which is at Corinth. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Now here's the thing. You were to read the rest of this book, but in between every chapter, you had to come back to this verse. And you had to say, Now, Paul's writing to the church of God in Corinth, who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Do you think that you would believe what Paul wrote in chapter 1, verse 2, by the time you got to chapter 6? Why? Why would we not believe that? Because they weren't acting like it. And our favorite thing we love to do is disqualify the salvation of other Christians and judge them as unsaved people because of their actions in their life. Let me ask you a question. How come our theology about that doesn't match up with the Apostle Paul? Well, Paul's much more gracious than I am. Well, that should be alarming, number one. Because I'm going to tell you a secret that often befuddles us. The Apostle Paul isn't any different than you and me. Did he have a different ministry? Yeah. Was he used for a different purpose by God? Yeah. But did he have the things in Christ that you and I have today? Absolutely. In fact, you and I are not lacking in any way, in anything, in Christ. And I really mean it when I say in any way, in anything. We are complete in him already. Well, don't I have to work up to it? No, you don't. Because it has nothing to do with you and it has everything to do with what happened with a cross and a tomb. Everybody see that? See, the Christian life all of a sudden doesn't become this foggy existence. Now it becomes extremely clear. Oh, It's not about me getting better. That's never a measure of spiritual growth. And Paul knows that. And that's why Paul doesn't hold their behavior over their head in order to render their standing before Jesus as null and void. He never does that. Why? Because Paul doesn't have the power to do that. He doesn't have the authority to do that. And it's not true. In fact... When we want to disqualify somebody's salvation and judge them as hell-bound, 
You are obviously firewood for the lake of fire. We'll go ahead and write that on your forehead, and I don't have to deal with you anymore, and cast you aside. We have committed the lordship salvation error because we are expecting a lot more out of the flesh of these people than the Lord Jesus is expecting out of their flesh. Jesus Christ considers our flesh dead. Why? Because when we believed in Christ, we were crucified with him. We were buried and we were raised again to a newness of life just as Jesus has been crucified, buried, and resurrected to a brand new life. And not only that, but we have been ascended into the heavens. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. Check it out sometime. It'll rock your world. We've been seated next to Christ in the heavenly places. You are already sitting in heaven as far as God is concerned. That's just how locked up we are. Now you sit here and go, I don't deserve that. Yes, now you're starting to get grace. We don't deserve that. And when we look at this church, we would sit here and go, what is Paul going to do with them? And we expect him to whip out a stick and start cracking heads. And I love that he starts this off. Look what he says. Who have been. Is that something that's already taken place? It is. Sanctified. Does anybody know what the word sanctified means? Don't look at your study notes. Don't let Ryrie tell you what's going on there. Set apart. Now here's a question. If the people in Corinth are already set apart, set apart from what? When you became, okay, let's transfer it. When you became a believer in Christ, were you sanctified? You were. Set apart from what? The world? That's good. Well, say it again. Who said it? Death. You're set apart from death. You're only going to die once. You live twice. If you don't have Jesus, you die twice. You only get to live once. I don't like that math. I want to be on the good side, right? Praise Jesus, I can be on the good side. Praise Jesus that he's brought me to that side. It's all his work and his doing. So if we've been set apart from the world, death, what else have we been set apart from? Say it. Who said it? Mark, say it again, man. Sin. reason I'm having you say it again because i got to get it right here. I want to get it on tape. Sin. Do you realize you've been set apart from sin? Isn't it interesting, and let's be honest, a church that's way more sinful than we are in Corinth, Paul wants to start out his letter and he wants to say, you've been set apart. You think maybe they sat there for a second and they thought, yeah, this is addressed to the wrong people, right? This should have went to Ephesus, not us. No, Corinth, you. You are set apart. When the Lord saved you, he took you out of the world. And he made it where death no longer had dominion over you. And he made it to where sin would no longer be master over you. And he said, if he set you apart from something, let me ask you a question. What did he set you apart to? Well, Jesus Christ and his purposes, what else? What? Life. Big L. Abundant life. He has actually transferred your location. When he set you apart, he set you in a place, and I love it because Paul uses this all the time. In 
Christ. You are now in Christ. You know what else is beautiful about that? Christ is in you. He is the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. And he is in you. And so not only have we been set apart from the things that are going to want to drag us down and the old life and the old way of living, but we've been set apart unto a greater existence that we do not deserve, have never merited, and will never merit, and yet it's all yours freely by His grace. Now, not only that, but He calls them saints by calling now, the church just started in Acts chapter 2. There wasn't a thousand-year period to qualify them and go through the interview process to see if they could be saints. Anybody catch that? Okay. A little stab at you Catholics there. It's okay. But notice for Paul, you believe in Christ. What are you? Saint. Done. What's a saint mean? In fact, saint, sanctification, it's interesting that he uses that. You have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Notice your location, in Christ. It's an in Christ truth, okay? But then you're also saints by calling. So if the idea of being sanctified, sanctification is a setting apart of yourself from some things and unto something different, And it's in Christ Jesus is the location of which you've been set apart unto. And it's all because of him of what you've been set apart. Is everybody with me so far? Notice that you're also saints by calling. Now, if you've got the NASB and you've got marginal notes, what does it say? Say it loud. Holy ones. Now, time out. This is definitely a letter to the wrong church. This is Corinth. Don't you know how bad they are? In fact, you probably heard me tell you this at one point in the past. When people would be degrading their bodies in pagan worship in the temples, they would actually call it Corinthianizing. Yeah. So today, whenever you hear of somebody that's involved in some kind of weird pagan practice to where they've degraded their body in some way, throw that term out there to some of your friends and open the door for evangelism. It'll be a fun one. Oh, so they're Corinthianizing. What? Yes. Jump in there and share Jesus. They're actually Corinthianizing amongst themselves, which tells us that the city had a reputation of debauchery. It's a terrible existence for them. Now, these Christians that have been called out, these people that have been called out of this situation, they respond to the gospel, are actually declared to be holy ones. How? How is that possible? Why? Because they're in Christ. Is there anything holy about them? No, there's everything holy about Christ. See, this is what is known as your identity in Christ. And Paul is going to unfold something incredible for us to understand and see. When you find Christians that are involved in grave sins, habitual sins, I hate the term besetting sins. You're sinning. That's what's going on. Okay? And when you find people in that type of situation, it never robs them of their position in Christ because that is established by Jesus Christ. It is that in Christ positional truth that keeps them from despair and hopelessness. Jesus has done it all. And I don't think sometimes we recognize how far-reaching the ramifications of the cross is actually in our personal lives. 
Because you and I are holy ones. Nothing I've done, all that he has done. And the believer is no longer his own. But instead, the believer has now had a transference, not just of location in living in a new place, which is in Christ. If you want, think of it as a plot of real estate that's been freely given to you. You are now in the realm of in Christ. No one can ever take that from you. It is a gracious gift that's just been given. But you've also gone into an identity transfer. You didn't have to have plastic surgery or go into witness protection to get it either. He just gave it to you. He understood that the life that we currently live is going nowhere. That it's good for nothing. You say, well, that's not very uplifting. It's not supposed to be. When's the last time your body acted perfectly? Right? Some of you wives are elbowing your husbands right now. Yeah. When's the last time your body, I'll tell you when, never. Never. It never happened on any day, ever, any hour, ever, every minute, wrong. That's where it's at. And so notice, when we come to a situation where we're dealing with wayward Christians, and we have an expectation that if they would just get their act together, what is wrong with them? Right? Because somebody put us in charge. That's why he says, check out the plank in your own for you get the speck out of your brother's eye. Today's translation is, check yourself before you wreck yourself, okay? That's what it is. Because all we do in pointing out the faults of others is heap condemnation on ourselves. What it does is it bypasses the gracious position that we all share equally, totally, abundantly, and graciously in Christ and the brand new identity that we have. Brand new. What is my brand new identity? I'm in Christ. I'm holy. I'm holy. Hey, everybody. Stop laughing, Tom. You're holy too. I'm having just as much trouble believing that about you as you are about me, so it's okay. You are holy. You are holy. Now, this is not a self-esteem message. I hate self-esteem messages. It is, is it's a Christ-esteem message. Everything that we are that would ever be deemed pleasing and right before God is everything that Christ is or has given us in himself. And all of it was secured and made sure by his perfect work on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the grave. He's triumphant over death, sin, hell, done. When he said, it is finished, he wasn't playing. Not just that he's paid for it in full, but that he's offering it all freely. Man, I can't grasp that. I cannot understand that. And that's why it's basic truths like this I need to be reminded of. Now, if you're taking notes, let me give this to you. And I've got a little bit of note section in the notes. But these things that I'm talking about right now, your position in Christ, the things that you've been graciously blessed with, a brand new identity that he's given you, walking in newness of life, those types of things. What is all of that? These are all what is known as positional truths. Positional truths. These are truths that are factual about every believer in Christ based upon all that Christ has done and wishes to freely give those believers. Maybe I've got a better definition I wrote down here. Positional truths. A factual reality 
regarding the believer in Jesus Christ. These facts are complete, lacking nothing, and you've got this in your notes, and needing no enhancement, having nothing to do with your personal merit. They're just yours. They're yours. You have them. You already have them. Your garage is bursting with them. Your house is overflowing with them. Your yard is piled up to where no one can see your house with them. You lack nothing in Christ. Nothing. How am I going to deal with this situation? Time out. You lack nothing in Christ. Start there. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this situation, but Lord, I know that I'm lacking nothing in Christ. And anything that would come about in this situation that would be glorifying to you must be Christ working through me. So God, use these members as instruments for your righteousness. Everybody see the submission there? See, lordship salvation is totally from hell. Lordship sanctification, the idea of walking, coming under his authority because of the gracious position he's put us in, not to earn a gracious position with him, but because of it, that's called the Bible. That's New Testament Christianity. And it's the idea of recognizing, being knowledgeable of my positional truths in Christ so I can now tackle life successfully because I became stronger, smarter, richer, any of those things? No, because as soon as those things take place and I trust in them, that will become my boast. Let's be honest. We love getting glory, don't we? You want to know the ironic thing about that? The fact that you and I will one day be glorified in heaven is an already done and sealed reality by Jesus. The only problem we're having to deal with right now is we have to wait for it. It's going to happen. But we're so used to mick Christianity that we drive up to the menu and order it, we want to get it by the time we get to the window. Glorification doesn't happen that way in a way that is satisfying and lasts for eternity. It happens by the work that God has done in Christ. Everybody see why this is so important? Good gravy this is important. I'm about to come out of my shoes. Positional truth is so vital for us to understand. And in this in this church that we've read through probably 10, 12 times, we've seen some things in Corinth and we go, why isn't Paul just smacking these people? Because he understands their position in Christ. And that's how he addresses them. Now watch what he does here. You have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and yours. Did you know you were in the Bible? There you are. Do you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know what that tells me? It tells me that you are sanctified and you are saints by calling in Christ Jesus. That's you. In fact, if you want, take your pen and write in. That's me. You can do that. There's a lot of places where you are in the Bible. Because we're part of the church, the body of Christ. And we find out that by and large, unless it's a specifically tailored situation to individuals, what Paul writes is true of the church. It's true of you and I. It's true. This isn't some ancient book that some guys wrote that's so distant I can't identify with it anymore. It's actually telling me about myself and all that Christ has done for me. I can't afford to relate to it from a distance. 
Engage it. Embrace it. Start thinking. Let it mentally arrest you. So you start thinking differently about how blessed you are. Why is that? Because I guarantee you this. Depression and disappointment is going to come. You are going to get discouraged. In fact, Satan has dulled his tool of discouragement on many Christians. Of how he's whittled away. The only thing that will keep your head above water in those situations is understanding your position in Christ. Because outside of being in Christ, you have nothing. You have nothing. Again, the accumulation of wealth, we think we have security. We don't. The accumulation of knowledge, I can develop a strategy and get out of this. You don't have that. Your weakness is your best friend because that's when Christ can work. Acknowledging our weakness before him. So it's letting Christ be everything and us nothing. Think about John the Baptist. I must decrease so that he must what? There it is in a nutshell. There's the Christian life. John the Baptist understood it in that one sentence. Incredible. So notice, it's true of them. It's true of us. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you, where? In Christ Jesus. Does everybody see that being in Christ is very important to Paul? I hope it's going to become very important to you. It's very important to me. In Christ is grace. Now, if that ain't a reason to be there, I don't know what else is. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, let me ask you a question. Why? That's where grace is. That's where set-apartness is. Away from the things that drag you down and unto the things that really matter. Are you holy? If you can't answer that with a clear conscience, you either don't understand your position in Christ or you're not in Christ. Because you don't have to do anything to be holy. You just have to believe what's already been done for you. Everybody see that? Man. Exactly. Because everything that matters is only found one place, in Christ. So notice, where's grace? We've been recipients of grace, and I think it's amazing. Paul says, I thank God for the Corinthian church. Now, I wouldn't have wrote it that way. I would have said, what is wrong with y'all? Question mark, explanation point, sad emoji, whatever. Because this book causes me problems. But what it does is it challenges my conception of grace. Because I like to limit grace. God doesn't. I love to limit grace. The reason is is because it makes me feel more superior than other people who aren't doing as well as I am. That's just how evil I am. I don't know about y'all. I'm evil. That's why I need him every hour. So notice, I thank God. Why? Because he knows they're in Christ, and that's where grace is, so there's always hope. Watch what happens here. Look at verse 5. That in everything, stop for a second, there's a ding, ding, ding word right there. That in everything, you were enriched, where? In him. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Think of it this way, it may help you. It helps me a lot. In him, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, is the barbecue analogy of the New Testament. Just think it. Sticky sweet on your fingers. Yum, yum. Get it. Amazing. By the way, I went to Noodles and Company in Sun Prairie the other day. They have barbecue. 
noodles. I said, why haven't I been here before? That's so beautiful. That was great. Man, and I got a small. I know you don't believe that, but I did. Man, it was good. Gosh, since Beth got pregnant, I've been gaining a lot of weight. I'm not, not happy about that, but... Everybody says I'm sympathizing, but no, I just need more of Jesus over my appetite. That's what it is. So that in everything, you were enriched in him. Stop for a second. You know what this tells me? It tells me that you and I are spiritual billionaires because of what Jesus has done. Do you believe that? That's Ed McMahon visiting your doorstep a hundred times, which would be real fun right now, (laughs) but because he's dead. So that's funny. But anyway, moving on. Hopefully he knew Jesus. I don't know. Hey, my sense of humor is morbid and dark, but whatever. If you knew some of the things, you, you would make me the pastor of Corinth, okay? So, uh, seriously, that's why I need Christ. You've been enriched in everything in him. Now, here's the reason why this is important. is because of the influx of the Greek culture. And Hellenism, how rampant it was, and all these things. I mean, you know this. Roman gods were just renamed with Roman names, but they were really connected to Greek gods, right? And so there's this whole idea here of this cultural shift that goes on, an appreciation for the human physique, a desire for knowledge in pagan cultures. You think about Paul in Acts chapter 17. And everybody was after wisdom, after wisdom, after wisdom kind of thing. And so with all of this going on, he brings up something very interesting because obviously there were some things that were symptoms in Corinth that had shown Paul from what he'd heard or from what he'd heard from them that they were leading astray. So look what he says, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. If you could give a speech back then, whoo! said something about you it had everything to do with the content of your character do we not get duped on this in politics all the time well he's a good public speaker so therefore they should be in office doesn't tell you anything about the criteria of what they hold to and what laws they want to pass and in any of it does it usually doesn't instead they're trying to woo you ladies you remember when you were wooed you remember that You didn't even know it was your your future husband talking to you, did you? Like, who is this guy? What? Guys, have you wooed your ladies lately? Woo them. Maxine said, oh, yeah. (laughs) Calm down, Maxine. (laughs) Somebody get a hose. (laughs) I'm just picking on you. Tom's here, so I'll leave you alone. But think about it. There's something about the way that people can craft the language that draws you. And here's the problem. The Corinthians had fallen into this trap. And not only that, but oh, he must know a lot. She must know all this stuff about that. And so therefore, because of that, we're putting them up on a pedestal. And they gravitated towards these type of qualities that were being unfolded. The problem was, is not whether they had well-to-do in their speaking or their knowledge but it was the content of what they were promoting was the issue. And that's what Paul wants to bring out. And so he starts correcting their thinking by saying, wait a second, you're looking at how smart this person is, how well this person talks. Take a time out for a second and recognize that you're enriched in all things in Christ, both in your knowledge and your speech. Or let me say it this way. When you became a believer in Christ, everything that's available to you in Christ 
is greater to speak of and greater to think upon than anything the world is going to offer you as substance for your brain. Does that make sense? There is worldly thinking and there is heavenly thinking. There is flesh-centered thinking and there is sanctified Christ thinking. And we, as believers, in Christ, with a new identity, now have the opportunity to think lofty thoughts that we never had the capacity to think before. Why? Because Christ has made it available to us. See, this is what makes Jeremiah 9.24 so important. Let the one who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Why is that important? Because the world doesn't know him. Everybody see that? And so when we're sitting here going, good grief, I keep talking. How come this person just doesn't understand what God's like? How come they don't understand about the reason why they need a Savior? That's the whole definition of being lost. They don't know where they are. They don't have a clue. They're lost in the woods. They can't begin to grasp it. Because the mind is so filled with worldly ways of dealing with the situation. Let me give you a prime biblical example we know. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. We know you're a good teacher. I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Well, how can somebody go back in the womb and be born again? Thinking worldly or spiritual? Everybody see that? And notice that's the ceiling. That's as far as Nicodemus can go there. He's a teacher of religious things to the Jewish people, and that's his capacity for thought. Spiritual birth never occurred to him. Everybody see how crazy that is? How about this? Put your finger right here. Turn over to John 1. I want you to look at it real quick. John 1 verse 10. This is a beautiful unfolding of who Jesus Christ is. From a definitely spiritual perspective, and especially from the position of him being the creator of all things. But we're told something very interesting in verses 10, 11, and 12. Look what it says here. He was in the world. Being Christ, he was in the world. And the world was made through him. Now you talk about having a personal touch on your surroundings. And we see the evidence for God for everywhere, don't we? You know why you see it? Because you're in Christ. You can't help but to see it. You wonder why the world has such a hard time with it? Because all they're thinking is of the world and that's as far as their knowledge can go. There's a ceiling on there. The great thing about Jesus Christ is he blows the ceiling off of it. He lets you know there are astronomically further already blessings that I have in store for you that are completely secured for you to experience. Come take advantage of this rich wealth of grace. That's what he tells us. So notice this. The world's made through him. He was in the world. The world is made through him. And look what it says. And the world did not know him. Can you imagine standing face to face with an identical twin and you can't figure out who they are? That's what we're talking about here. That type of what? Should the world know him? Let me ask you this. Was humanity and creation made to know him? Everybody see what was lost in the fall. A correct knowledge about God was lost in the fall. When sin was introduced into the situation and death began to reign in life, God consciousness became skewed. It's like, the snowy channel on your TV. That's how the world often operates. Now look at verse 11. 
He came to his own, that's the Jews, and those were who his own did not receive him. Somebody who actually had a track record, background, and history with God, and yet when the Messiah showed up, they said, that's not him. And they wanted nothing to do with him, even though he met all the qualifications, even though he fulfilled Scripture to a T, even though they had to fabricate accusations against him because they couldn't find anything wrong with him. And yet, they treat him as a stranger. But look at verse 12. But as many as, what? Received him. You know what just happened right there? In Christ. You just got transferred locations. You just got a brand new identity. Those who heard the gospel message and received him, look what it says. To them, he gave the right, the power, to become children of God. That's another thing we have in Christ. We're now God's children. Even to those who believe in his name. That's what it is to receive him. To receive him is to believe in his name. To believe in his name is to be put into an in Christ position. You are now God's child. You are now sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are a holy one and grace is abundantly available. And that's all that we've seen just through verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 1. What does verse 5 tell you? That you've been enriched in all knowledge and speech in 1 Corinthians 1. Turn back there. But that's an example of the sealing of the world. Verse 5, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. So there is a confirmation of Christ's testimony in you. Now, I personally believe that that's the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because everyone who comes to faith in Christ immediately, whether you feel it or not, whether you got the jigglies or not, it doesn't matter. He put the Holy Spirit in you as a gift, as a pledge, as a guarantee of your future redemption to come. Why? Because He is going to redeem all of you. He's already redeemed your spirit. He's in the process of redeeming your soul, and He will redeem your body at the rapture. It's going to happen. He's going to leave no stone unturned with you. Now stop for a second. Isn't that a good thought? Anybody here ever put a rubber band on their wrist to try to get better at life? You know, I shouldn't have said that. It's like, you know, it's like a dollar store means of shock therapy. I don't know what's going on there. It's terrible. Because we're trying to beat the flesh into doing something it can't do. Why can't it do it? Because we're not there anymore. You can work out all you want. Abs go away. I've been working on this ab for a long time. (laughs) But no matter how much we strive and try, the outer man decays. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us the new man, the inner man, is being renewed day by day. See, this is Christ's active involvement in our lives, giving us everything and currently doing things. You can't get any better than this. He will bring that confirming testimony in your life. Look what it says, verse 7. So that, here's the reason why. You are not lacking in any gift. Now, I believe this is talking church-wide for them. And my personal belief Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 talk a lot about spiritual gifts. That there is not one local body of Christ that is not a minuscule representation of the universal body of Christ and that every spiritual gift will be found within every local body of Christ. Why is that? Because every person in the body of Christ matters for one reason and one reason only, in Christ. 
How many of you think that, that Jesus's pinky toe is worth less than his hand that took a nail? Anybody want to blaspheme Jesus's pinky toe right now? No. In fact, that sounds dumb, doesn't it? You're like, okay, I need coffee. I'm out of here. Every part of him matters. We are the body of Christ. You may be Jesus's pinky toe. Guess what? You're just as important as his hand. Every part matters. No one is dispensable. Every single saint matters. Why? Because you're in Christ. Because you're in Christ. Moving on. We're going to wrap this up. Let's preach all day. Here we go. <clears throat> so that you're not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me go ahead and tell you, that's the rapture. Did you hear me, Pete? That's the rapture. Pete knows. Are you eagerly awaiting that day? Say, well, I don't know. I've done a lot of bad things. Stop thinking about what you've done or what you haven't done and start thinking about who Christ is. Because only when you think about who Christ is is you start thinking about who you are in Christ. And when you start thinking about who you are in Christ, you're not worried about what you're doing or not doing. You're just letting Christ do it. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be all the time. How'd that happen? Jesus did it. I don't know. I was almost an innocent bystander by the whole thing. It was great. But I don't know where it came from. Jesus was just doing it. Well, when we're sure and secured up in our position of knowing all that we have in Christ, we're now eagerly awaiting for the day when we come to him face to face. When we are in reunion with him. The full culmination of the right place that we always should have been. And notice what it says here. Verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end. He will confirm you and me and the Corinthian brothers and sisters in the end. It's a guarantee. It will happen. Nothing will stop him. This is prophecy. It will be guaranteed in the end. And look what he says here. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I encourage you to read my notes on this. Because what he's talking about is your positional blamelessness. Positionally, when we are in Christ, you are now declared righteous. You are justified. And the righteousness that you have is the exact righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not a righteousness like Christ. Your righteousness is Christ. So this is what you already have. You know what he's saying? He's saying in your position in Christ, when you come to the end of your life, you're going to stand before God, and positionally speaking, you're absolutely blameless. You know what that says? Oh, hold on to it, guys, because your psychiatrist is getting ready to flip his lid. There's nothing wrong with you. That's what it's saying. There's nothing wrong with you. But this and this and this, that's called sin. But there's nothing wrong with you. Why? Because it ain't about you. It's about Christ. If I stopped and think about how messed up I am, I'd end up in a padded room too. Why is that? Because I'm really messed up. And I really got a lot of problems. And I really got a dark heart. And I really don't want to love other people. Why? Because if I'm trying to live through a corpse that is my old man, that's what dead people do. Dead people do dead things. I don't know about you, but I don't like being dead. 
but I've had the opportunity to be made alive. And that's why I'm told such passages as, put off the dead man, put off the old man with his ways. That's not you anymore. Don't keep acting like that. That ain't you. You don't even know who that is. Why? Because he's already had a funeral. He's already been buried. He's been raised to a newness of life. That's who you are. That's who you are. The old, the new. Look what he says, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's when we stand before him at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 9, we'll finish here. God is faithful. Just in case you forgot, he wants you to know. Why is all this possible? How did all this happen? How in the world am I going to be presented blameless before the day? Here's a reason why. Because God is faithful. And faithfulness is a means of measure of worth and value and a standard set forward by which your entire destiny rests. If God ain't faithful, you ain't there. Does that make sense? And yes, I use the word ain't. If God has lied in some way, we ain't making it. We will not be there. So everything that we're guaranteeing on and banking on for the promises of Christ, not just seeing that experience manifest in our life by the blessings that he gives us in the here and now, but it all rests upon the character of God. And Paul wants these wayward Christian believers to understand one huge thing. Who you are in Christ is wrapped up and guaranteed because God is faithful. And you understanding and knowing him and boasting in that is the loftiest thing that you will ever do because everything Christ has ever done is planted on that plot period god is faithful through whom you are called into fellowship with his son jesus christ our lord what's the other word we use for fellowship intimacy you were called to have an active love relationship with your savior You are called to have a daily, communal, talking, loving, speaking to him. People will think I'm a weirdo. Let me tell you something. They already do. Why? Because you're in Christ. Of course you're going to act weird. We start believing what Jesus has already done for us and what God says about us, you're going to be weird. Why? Because you're sanctified, set apart from this world. Because you don't want to participate in the sin that other people do. Why? Because sin leads to death, and that's not you anymore. You've already died, and you've been raised to a newness of life, and all things are already yours in Christ. Why would we toy with stupidness when brilliance abounds in us? See, it doesn't make any sense. But if we're not apprehending the truth that's in Christ, we run the danger of living as hypocrites. Think upon this. God has called us to so much better than what we believe. And he has supplied all your needs in Christ Jesus. Not will, not hope so, not maybe, not if I pray hard enough or study the Bible hard enough, if I learn Greek and Hebrew, It is, is presently yours. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for all that we already have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Some of the things that we've seen, we are sanctified, set apart,
holy ones in Christ, abundant in grace, children of God, enriched in all speech and knowledge, guaranteed a blameless showing because our glory is guaranteed in Christ. We are rich people. Regardless of wayward sin, regardless of how we've abused mercy, regardless if we've walked away from Jesus, thank you God that He never walked away from us. He is faithful. You are faithful. God, I pray that that just overwhelm our hearts right now. We are so blessed. It's all because of Christ, being in Christ, all that we have in Christ. It's all Christ. It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. Let us not fear to say His name, but let's proclaim it loud. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. It's in His name. Amen.